the awesome opportunity to chat with legendary drummer Roger Earl from Fog Hat over Zoom video. Roger takes us through his entire musical journey, which is super interesting. He talked about growing up in England just after the war had happened. Really, he talks about playing in bomb shelters and just buildings that had been, uh, you know, taken down and everything. It was just a fascinating story. He told us how he got into music. He always had jobs growing up, so he was able to buy himself a drum kit at an early age. Roger tells us about the earlier bands he was in, trying out and eventually joining Savoy Brown and the major success of that band, how Foghat was formed, some early, early stories about the band and touring. It was just really cool to hear from him how the band kind of evolved over the years. From having that first Willie Dixon hit, I Just Want to Make Love to You, grow massively on radio in the United States, to obviously having gold records happen and eventually a platinum record with Fool for the City. A really cool story about how the song Slow Ride was recorded. Halfway through the song, the power went out, and he forgot about the story until recently, so he told us about how they were able to kind of punch in and, and finish that song and that's the song that's on the actual record. But he'll he'll tell you the story. It's really cool. And all about this new record they just released, this live record, called Eight Days on the Road, which is 14 tracks, live performance. It's a double CD. There's a DVD. It's a rad, rad record. So he talks all about that as well. And you can watch our interview with Roger Earl on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. So we'd love it if you subscribe to our channel. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Roger Earl and Fog Hat. Nice to see you. I appreciate you doing this. Um, well, I appreciate you uh, helping to, um, I guess, support our new album. Yeah, I love it. Eight, you listen uh, to it? Yeah. I did. I listened to it yesterday. We were real pleased uh, with how it turned out. Um, it's a fabulous little room, um, Daryl's House Club. Uh, the sound was great. The people there are fantastic. Um, they have a great engineer and setup. Um, normally, we don't get a chance to play such intimate rooms. Sure. But it was, um, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It's a lot of that fun. Very wow. cool, very cool. And I love that you guys did uh, the Live at the Belly Up record, too, in 2017. Yeah. That's um, around my hometown from San Diego. Actually, that's another cool club. The reason uh -huh. we played there was, I think, well, part of the reason was somebody told us that the Stones played there. And I said, they did? Yeah. I have, I have a cool story for you on that, but go ahead. Uh, I don't think we got paid as much as the Stones, though. <laughs> I don't well what the funny thing okay so there's this super rich guy that lives in San Diego and around uh Solana Beach and every year for his wife's birthday party he throws like this outrageous thing so like one year he, I think he did it at his house where he hired Paul McCartney to come and play wow. <laughs> like just for his wife and a few people and so that year one year he did Lady Gaga the Foo Fighters and wow. a couple other people. And so he did that one at the belly up. That's kind of what started it. Yeah. And he'll invite, he, I think he owns or runs like some nonprofit. And so like the highest people that donate, he invites them just to these belly up shows. 
And that one year he happened to have the Rolling Stones and it was like this secret concert. And I work, I was working at a radio station at the time and my program director uh, got wind of it. So we went down to the belly up and we were broadcasting there, like just blasting it out to everybody that the really Stones are in San Diego. I want to see Mick. I want to meet Keith. I want, want to do a line with Keith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was wild. But uh, that's so cool that you guys did. That. I saw that um, that you did the live at the belly up and my wife and I are from Once San Diego. Again, we was, love it. Uh, once again, it was like um, they had a really cool setup where they could record. Uh, we had uh, a lengthy sound check and we'd been playing out. So everybody sort of knew what to do. It wasn't like we were sitting there going, oh, what do I play here? Like, <laughs> sure. um, you know, we just had a year and a half off. So it's like we've had um, we've had seven rehearsals. We've done one show. We did a theater in. Chicago, the Arcada, just outside of Chicago in St. Charles. Uh-huh. But uh, it's yeah, it's good to be back in the saddle again. Sure. Toten Mall 44. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you guys have a, like what, six shows coming up too, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, we've got a bunch of stuff coming up. Um, That's amazing. It's just once a week for this month. Then after that, uh, we got like 9, 10, or 11, and, and then we're out. That's so, so cool. Yeah. Um, it's been what 50 years of this band 50 years wow can you imagine when that first record came out that you'd be doing this 50 (laughs) years later Uh, you know back then i don't think i really thought much more than it was always in the moment back then it's it's like music Uh uh-huh you know it's always in the moment it's like a moment in time i mean every time it's like when you're recording songs it's a moment and you know uh but there was a time when, or different songs, you struggle with uh, yeah, to let it go. So is that as good as we can get? Is this what you like? It's That's one of the issues when you have four people or five people, if you're including your producer. Uh-huh. Saying, well, is, that, is that good enough? I don't know. Could we do it again? I don't know. Well, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. What do you, it's like, but generally, Volcat always... You know, because we were always pretty much in charge of the band. You know, we didn't have people telling us what to do or to record. Uh-huh, so, which is uh, nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you stand and fall by your own decisions, which I think <laughs> I think it's healthy for a band anyway. Sure, sure. Well, I'd love to hear your story in music. Um, if we could start at the beginning, I hope that's cool with you. Uh, you were you sure. born in Hampton Court Palace? In, in, in <laughs> or no? No, I'm not. No, I'm not actually royalty actually i am an old cheap royalty but so, isn't that uh, around the, is that an area there or maybe yeah. I'm, I'm i'm confused <laughs> maybe you're born actually where the crown is but. yeah it's an area <laughs> of the river thames i was born in the bearsted memorial hospital uh i was the last son in the family i was born in 46 so just after the war okay uh, and, uh my mother i remember my mother telling me she said what a beautiful hospital it was because my other two brothers were born during the war. So oh. it was rough. I'm know. sure. Wow. I used to play in bomb shelters. That was, that was my playground. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I mean, houses were blown up. I mean, London especially was like totally decimated. Uh, apart from St. Paul's Cathedral, everybody thought that God was on our side. Actually, I think they thought God was an Englishman. Uh <laughs> 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 Cut that out. <laughs> but, uh, 
Yeah, it was um, it was fun growing up in bomb shelters. Oh look, I found an unexploded bomb. Oh my yeah, god! I did actually, but people did. It that is crazy. Cool. Yeah, it was, um, and we were on rations till we were like eight years old. But um, uh-huh. there was always music in our house. Always. My, and how close were? I'm just curious on the bomb shelters. Like, how were those? Like, fairly close to your house? Like how? Like I'm. I'm actually, so. Bomb shelters were actually the underground and railroad stations, anything that was underground. But okay. I used to play in bombed out houses, actually. Bombed oh. out buildings. That was my, oh my place. Gosh. Yeah. You find all sorts of strange stuff in there. I can't imagine. <laughs> Bones. <laughs> oh my God. Bones. Wow. <laughs> okay. So music was always in the house. Yeah. Um, that mum and dad came from the East End of London and. Uh, dad played piano and sang. My mother sang actually as well. Um, my father actually was, uh, he worked at Aston Martins, uh, their old firm in Belton, which was just down the road from where we lived in Southwest London. Oh, wow. Uh, but there was always music. Uh, dad was always singing. Uh, we had, we were, we had a, always had a record player of some sort. My grandmother did. Uh, uh, we had a, tape player we would tape stuff off of the tv and off of the radio um uh, my father was brought home the first jerry lee lewis record i believe it was great balls of fire but i do remember the b-side which was mean woman blues and as dad played piano somewhat uh he said yeah have a listen to this boy son he he can really play the joanna which is a term for piano okay uh so when I was 12, my father took me to see Jerry Lee Lewis. Wow. Uh, yeah, Mitchell Majestic in, uh, where was it? Near Croydon, I think. And uh, my mother said, he was never the same after that. It addled his, <laughs> his brain. I love my mum. <laughs> and did it? Was that, was that it for you? You knew you wanted to be on stage like that? Uh, yeah, I, I started playing learning piano a bit. Uh, my older brother, Colin, he was four years older than me, was learning piano. Um, Dad was self-taught. Okay. Um, Colin, my brother, Colin, would play the Mungo Jerry, in the summertime, better love Oh, sure, it. yeah, that's a great song. Yeah, and they had uh, had about 10, like, top 20 hits in Europe. I think it was just that one over here in the States. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, the lead singer in Mungo Jerry was the lead singer in the first band I was in. We really? Went, yeah, we went to school together, him and the bass player and the other guitar player. So I didn't join the band until I was 17. They've been playing since they were like 10 or 11, I think. So I got in. Uh, it was good. Good fun. But, were you yeah, the drummer of the band? Uh, I was. Uh, the drummer got thrown out because he couldn't play. And that's when <laughs> I joined. Okay. Actually, no, he played, he played too quiet. That was the problem. Oh, he put he put all this tape and stuff on his drum heads and uh, and like you couldn't hear them because they were sort of a blues rock and roll band and uh, need to be able to hear the drummer. Sure, sure. <laughs> when did you learn drums? You said piano first. Yeah, I, t- I started tinkling around with it because it was a piano in the house. But um, okay. after I saw Jerry D. Lewis, I said, "No, I don't think I'm ever going to manage that." But uh, I believe on this tour he brought his own drummer over. Not that you could hear it too well, because back then they had like, you know, two Vox columns aside of the stage and 
of course you know, two thousand people in there you could hardly hear it but uh yeah that was that was the magic moment for me seeing him and that was you know then i got the bug i mean i was always tapping on stuff you know ruining mum's good china and breaking stuff <laughs> <laughs> the uh and she got sick of that, so she bought you a kit, I'm sure. No, 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 no. nobody bought me anything. Um, oh. I, I, we had to save up. Dad, I, I wanted to buy a motorbike when I was 11. I would I would work after school. Uh, I, I did evenings. I did three evenings a week, and I did a Saturday morning in the bakery. I, you know, I always had my own money. <clears throat> and I said, to, and I was saving it, and I said, Dad, I want to get a motorbike, because Dad had a bike, of course, when he was younger. You know, pr- during the war and pre-war, you know, mm-hmm. the sidecar with it, and I'd see pictures of it. I said, "I want to get one of them, Dad." And he said, "Well, I'm not going to help you with that, son. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I want a drum kit." And he said, uh, "Oh, let me see what I can do." Anyway, he had a a friend that he worked with uh, who was a drum teacher, um, and he toured actually with um, a lot of American artists that come over to England. So he was a great drummer. Um, uh-huh name Roy Roy uh I can't remember now and that was the same drum, drum teacher that the uh, drummer Mick Avery had in uh the Kinks oh uh, really yeah his name escapes me at the moment but uh-huh. I'll get he'll probably pop up during the conversation oh good um yeah. uh, they said well anyway I started taking drum lessons and I had already picked my drum kit out a black uh marine pearl premier kit it was in the store window in kingston i think it was and uh so i took drum lessons for about two years when i was 15 my drum teacher said okay you can get a drum kit now and uh that was it i was off oh so you were just going over to your drum teacher's house playing on his kit how would you practice like a pad uh a practice pad okay initially yeah um and then when i would go to my teacher's house after about a year uh, he set me on uh, the, the kit and, you know, then I started working on uh, pedals and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, great teacher, actually, but typical teenager. I thought I knew it all, which of I course. did and still don't. <laughs> <laughs> 50 plus years later, he still don't. <laughs> yeah. there's, always something, there's always something to learn. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So what? Well, so from there, once you you know obviously learn to to play some beats and, and and play drums a bit, was what was the first band that you started? Was it something early on? I mean, prior to being seventeen and joining the established band at one point. Um, I uh, I used to answer um, stuff in the local paper for drummer wanted, and I did a few introductions, which were pretty horrible. Um, but then my friend, uh, my, probably my best friend, Dave, who's a bass player, uh, you know, who I went to school with, just came over the house one day and said, you want to join the band? And uh, we did a rehearsal. Then the next day we played the Ricky Tick Club in Windsor and we were up and I stayed, we stayed together until I was 20, a good three years. Myself, Ray Dorsett and uh, Dave Hutchins on bass. Uh, and it was great. We we did a whole bunch of stuff. I played with a West Indian singer came from uh, Trinidad called uh, Jackie Edwards. Uh-huh. He uh, co-wrote Keep On Running and a bunch of other stuff. Spencer Davis group. Um, he was really cool. Uh, that was a lot of fun, actually. 
Jackie, he, he passed away a few years back, but um, he really treated us well. And, you know, I got to play all the sort of uh, West Indian clubs in London and Birmingham and Manchester. We were the only white faces in there, but we were, <laughs> we were treated uh, special because we were with Jackie. That's uh, good. A man, actually. Um, I learned a lot uh, doing that. And also, uh, um, I played uh, in a number of like reggae festivals. So I had to sort of get my chops together on that. That was fun. Um, mm. Actually, I've forgotten about most of that. Yeah. And Jackie had a Lotus Cortina, and occasionally he would take us up there if somebody else was driving the equipment. And that was interesting doing 120 miles an hour. With Jackie smiling. <laughs> 120? Oh my gosh. Yeah, well, those were the days when there was no real speed limit on the motorways. So, sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what did those, you have that could, what car would make it a 120? It was a Lotus Cortina. Oh, Lord. Okay, Lotus Cortina. You did say that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Jackie was into cars. That's awesome. Well, Dad has uh, worked at Aston Martin, so I'd assume that you knew a bit, right? Yeah, that, that was cool. When I was growing up as a kid, um, I would come home from lunch times, you know, like probably when I was six, seven, eight, nine years old. And Dad was a panel fitter at Aston Martin. So he would fit the doors, he would fit the, the dashboard and stuff like that. And then he would have to take it out and to test drive it to make sure there were no rattles, uh, uh -huh. which did. <laughs> um, but he would have these beautiful cars outside the house at lunchtime, bright red, British racing green. One color I remember was Kingfisher blue. They were so yeah. Dad was always a, a, a car fanatic, and he had a he had a heavy foot. <laughs> <laughs> heavy foot. Dad had heavy hands as well. His his piano playing was more of the style like. Um, Fat Swallow, you know, Alligator Crawl, stuff like that. Okay. Dab, dab, dab. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had great parents, actually. I was very fortunate. They never beat me. Um, oh, that's good. We <laughs> deserved it once or twice. But. Were they they're pretty supportive of the success of the band early on and, and all that? Yeah. Um, I remember one time, um, Dad's 60th birthday, 19... 67, I think that year. Was that when we did the uh, Blue Show, Linda? 67? 77. 77, sorry, 77. Um, in New York, the New York Palladium, we supported uh, Muddy Waters, Johnny Hooker, wow. uh, Johnny Winter, um, Paul Butterfield. We were like the house band, and it, it was a, a benefit. We didn't get paid, but we actually were doing fine. And uh, Mum and Dad came over because I had more money than cents. Hold on. My wife says if I had a dime, I'd have more money than cents. But that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> but, so we're the house band at the uh, New York Palladium. And uh, it's Dad's 60th birthday, so I brought him over for a couple of weeks over to the States. And uh, we were backstage, and uh, they knew who Muddy Waters was, because, you know, I had a bunch of his records, especially his uh, Live at Newport, 1961. That was... That was a big turning point for me, that record as well. <clears throat> anyway, I, I, I say, uh, Mr. Waters, uh, Mr. this is uh, my mum and dad, mum and dad, Muddy Waters. And they, and they, it's like this youngest son is shaking hands with one of his musical heroes. That's Muddy so cool. Man, actually, he was, um, he was so cool. And, and he had this most 
wonderful sort of smile and a way about him. Everybody sort of loved the man. Everybody respected him because of who he was. And sure. um, he didn't let you down. Wow. Thing about, you know, Muddy, Johnny Hooker, he was a piece of work. He was really interesting. Uh, <laughs> Willie Dixon, who wrote most of those songs, was uh, a <clears throat> big man. He was about 6'6", something like that. And we met him one time and uh, he was he was fantastic to talk to and hang out with. In fact, we went, he invited us over to his house for dinner for one, one time. We were... Uh, we were playing in Chicago. We had three dates, uh, three nights at the auditorium there. And uh, first night, <clears throat> Willie Dixon sent down his daughter. She was like 17 or 18. We treated her like the princess she was, as far as we were concerned. And the next night, she came down with her brother, um, Butch, who later on went to become uh, Willie's road manager. And on the third night we played there, Willie himself came down. The man came down. Wow. And because uh, <clears throat> I just want to make love to you, which he wrote um, mm -hmm. yeah, off of our first album. Yeah, that you guys one. did that one, right? I had That was kind of the first one that got like, what, radio play and everything else? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's what broke us. And then in, in 77, uh, we released it off of the live album as well, which went double platinum. So Willie's <laughs> getting all this money from this band called Foghat. And I think what he <laughs> said to his kids was, hey, uh, go down to the auditorium and see what these Foghat guys have got under their fingernails. <laughs> uh, I, I guess it was all right because uh, he invited us over to his house. We went there about six months later and we came back to town and uh, we were up till about four o'clock in the morning at Willie's house playing music, listening to records. Uh, Beautiful man, beautiful family, actually. Uh -huh. Was that song uh, a big a big hit for Willie Dixon at the time, or no? Or did you guys kind of put it on the map? Uh, no, well, I mean, well, Muddy had a, a sort of a, a big hit with it. Muddy Waters' version was the oh yeah he, version up until okay, you know. We, Sorry, I forgot about that. Sure, yeah, until we got our grubby little fingers on it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it was it was cool, you know. Um, you know, it's, I think it was really cool that uh, you know people like Willie and you know those writers who wrote all that great stuff, and especially you know especially like Chuck Berry as well. There'd be no rock and roll if it wasn't for Willie Dixon and Chuck Berry. Uh -huh. uh, oh no, Elvis probably had a finger in that, but he didn't write it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, he wasn't. He didn't write the songs, right? No, no, but he performed them. Sure. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, I think it's important that you never forget how to be a fan. I mean, there's one that. reasons that, you know, I love to play, you know, because, uh, you know, music is like, um, hold on. I remember seeing a sign once. Um, we were in somewhere out in uh, Colorado. I was like fishing and riding my bike and stuff. And uh, there was this sign over a record store I found. And it said, without music, life would be a mistake. And I went, huh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I haven't heard that one before. That's really cool. Yeah. That is a good one. Yeah. I'm curious to know. So uh, when when you guys were all in a band, you were in a band with, with Lonesome Dave and Tony Stevens before Fog Hat, correct? Right, yeah. And when so did that band start? Uh, well, how did you meet those guys? 
they were they were already uh, a band. Um, okay. Roy Brown, I think, formed in like 60, 64, something like that with Kim Simmons. Oh, I'm still very good friends with him. In fact, we just did a show, our first show out in Chicago and Savoy Brown were on the, on the same bill with us. Wow. I've, I've stayed friend, good friends with Kim throughout the years. Um, I auditioned. Uh, things were getting a little slow with the band I was in, myself, Brad, Dave. So I started looking around for work and I saw an advert for a bass player and a drummer for a blues band, which was Savoy Brown. Um, went to, uh, I borrowed Dad's car. Uh, we, we went to this place called the Nags Ted in Southwest London. And uh, I didn't get the job the first time. Apparently, Bill Bruford did, but he only lasted a month. I don't know what was wrong. So they told me he couldn't play a shuffle, whatever that means. I mean, <laughs> can't play a shuffle, you can't be in a blues band. But Bill, Bill was a, a great drummer, obviously. But uh, it, apparently, it, they probably didn't pay him. That's probably the truth. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> He's like, what? I'm not doing this for free. <laughs> yeah, right. So I get a call back because um, the manager of Savoy Brown was one of the booking agents that used to book the band I was in. So that's okay. we, so I, I get a call back. It's, they just want a drummer. They'd already got a bass player. And uh, so I, I played for about two hours with them and I start packing up my drums, you know, because I had a day job. I was a commercial artist. And they said, uh, where, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going back to work. I've got a day job. And they said, we've got to give him, we've got a gig in Birmingham tonight. So I'm in the band. Wow. Yeah. Um, I've probably told this story before, but I didn't get paid for the first six weeks. Now I'm working, you know, three, three, four days a week. I've got a day job. So, you know, you're going to Newcastle and I get back to London at like five or six in the morning, look like some, something the cat's dragged in. And then <laughs> I have to go to work and sort of like, you know, do all this fine stuff. Uh, <clears throat> so after about two weeks, I go and see the manager of the band, Harry, and say, uh, Harry, you know, uh, I haven't got paid yet, you know, and I've done about eight shows. He said, he was Welsh. He said, you haven't got paid yet, Boyle. Oh, we'll see about that then. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks go by. I still haven't got paid. I'll go up to the uh, office and say, Hi, Harry. Uh, you know, uh, I haven't got paid yet. You haven't got paid yet, Boyle. Oh, we'll see about that then. This went on for about six or seven weeks. And eventually, I think I got paid £12.50 a week. Wife and kids to keep. <laughs> oh wow so did you have to keep the day job at that point uh well i had to give it up eventually because i mean we were playing like four or five days a week in fact okay. the people i worked with as a as a commercial artist were, were really terrific they knew that where my uh heart lied you know that, that, and i I'd, I'd come in not looking looking rather tired but i'd, I'd go to work and i'd also do I used to do overtime, a lot of freelance work as well. Uh-huh. And uh, they said, I'd, I'd, I'd make excuses and say, well, the bus was late today. And they said, yeah, you played in Newcastle, didn't you? <laughs> Last night. <laughs> oh, so they knew the band. So they knew about it. They knew what was going on, huh? Yeah. They, uh, they knew where my heart was lying. Um, so uh, I had a, had a big send off and, um, took a huge reduction in pay, but I was in a rock and roll band or a blues band, I should say. Uh-huh. And uh, I, was, I was more importantly, 
I'm a professional. <laughs> professional, I'm a yeah, musician. I didn't realize that. So you were a you're a commu- commercial artist, so you can draw pretty well, I'd assume, right? Uh, yeah, I don't do much of it anymore. I did help out on uh, <clears throat> one of our album covers, uh, the Family Jewels album, which was the first one we did after Dave did. I did the the artwork on the front cover, but uh, my uh, girlfriend does all the artwork now. Oh, okay. And it's, my wife does as well. <laughs> but what you did they're one of the same <laughs> uh what did you <laughs> did you um were you did you i mean did you go to school for art or was it like how did you realize that you could draw really well i'm just um, curious on this because that fascinates me that you did that prior uh i yeah i was i was always um good as an artist yeah okay. I, mean, I was a young kid you know, I would do drawings or make models and stuff. And I'd have to walk around the school, even when I was like seven or eight years old and show people my work. <clears throat> yeah, it was, I was fortunate. Uh, my older brother was a commercial artist. Oh, okay. Uh, my father could draw really well. Um, as, as, and my aunt could as well. I forgot about that. Um, I guess it was just one of those things. It sort of runs in the family. That's cool. Uh, I enjoyed it for a while, but it, it's basically, you know, drawing black and white lines and, you know, I would do like uh, uh, stuff, you know, uh, that would be given to the printer, you know, would like uh-huh. um, you would have like a box of something, a box of cornflakes. And I would do the uh, design for the printer to make it. Uh, I did occasionally I got a chance to actually design something, but I would, I would just do the grunt work. <laughs> but still, that's cool. That's a cool gig to have. Uh, yeah, and and it was very lucrative. Um, I was good enough at it, and like I said, I did a lot of um, freelance work. I don't really do any painting or drawing now, other than to uh, entertain the grandchildren. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> do little drawings for them. That's cool, though, to have that skill set. I mean, obviously, as an artist, you, you yeah. can play drums. That doesn't, and... that doesn't look like me, Granddad. <laughs> <laughs> That's how. Oh, I see. Oh, that's funny. So when does when does Foghat start? When when um like how quickly after you you got together with Dave and them? Uh let's see, at the end of nineteen seventy, um okay. Brown had a new record deal. We were we were the band was doing fantastic. We were selling out, um the band was earning you know between ten and fifteen thousand dollars a night back in nineteen seventy, which is a lot of money. Oh my gosh. And, uh, yeah, well, we were only getting paid a hundred bucks a week. But prior to Foghat, that <laughs> prior to Foghat, yes. Okay. So uh, it just seemed like a good time. Um, Tony Stevens got fired, <clears throat> and uh, Kim asked us if we, you know, wanted to stay on. We said no. I think it's time for a change. But you know, we said you know we'll stay until you get a new band, put your band together. We'll we'll be here. Yeah, and. Um, the next morning, <clears throat> we had a meeting with the manager, and he told us if we left the band, we'd never work again in America or in England. Wow. Uh, yeah, what a scumbag. So uh, wait, so I'm cur- curious real quick. So at this point, you had already toured, like massive touring, came oh, yeah. to the States. Like, yeah, because that band was huge, States. right, for a while? I came to the States, what, 68, 69? Okay. We left Savoy Brown the end of 1970. So, yeah, um, that was great. It was like coming home as far as I was concerned. You know, this is the land of 
music and uh, you know this is my adopted home i always wanted to come here ever since i i remember when i was about eight years old uh i wanted to run away to the states i was going to you know get on a boat or something and my older brother went along with it for a little while and then when i packed my bags one day or whatever it was he said that was stupid (laughs) (laughs) where in the states fascinated you new york city or i'm sorry where, where was it that fascinated you or what was it about the United States? Was it New York or was there a certain city that you wanted to travel to? No, it was everything about America. Just, of course, the music. Okay. It was just, it was fascinating. Um, you know, this is the land of music. Like I said, you know, there was always music in our house. Um, you know, dad would play like stuff, you know, big band music. It was always American music. I mean, what did okay. you Hey, nonny, nonny. That's not entirely true. But... <laughs> But uh, America was the land of music, um, yeah. land of opportunity. You know, had they had rock and roll, they had blues, they had jazz, gospel, uh, country and western. It was, uh, you know, of course, it was, you know, influenced by, you know, the uh, I guess Irish, Scottish, and sort of English folk uh-huh. music and, and French folk music as well. Their um, melodies, um, and of course, you know. Uh, uh, the Africans probably sort of transformed everything into sort of greatness as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Uh, it was, um, it, and the first time we came here, I just felt I was home. In fact, um, what's a guitar player's name in uh, the Young Rascals? What's his name? Guitar player in the Rascals. Um, Not Felix, because uh, I'm still, I'm still. Eddie, Eddie hmm? Eddie no, no. Guitar player with the uh, Young Rascals. Anyway, first time we got to New York, he befriended us and uh, he took us to, uh, we, we read his book. I know. Um, <laughs> oh, good. Anyway, anyway, he, he befriended us and he took us down to Harlem. Oh, we got Gene up. Cornish. Gene Cornish. Oh, yeah, Gene Cornish. Thank you. Uh, my girlfriend's over here. Okay, I can hear her. Hi. Cornish, he, <laughs> he was really cool. I mean, because he knew everybody. And he took us to the jazz clubs and blues clubs around Harlem and New York. And we got up and jammed. And uh, uh, I don't think we embarrassed ourselves too much. But uh, <laughs> it was, uh, I, I feel real comfortable here. Um, even though you guys talk a little funny. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it's, uh, uh, it's it's home um i love this country i uh, i love how it is you know it needs a little bit of work still but i won't go there um <laughs> this is this is home uh That's awesome. fact, yeah i love this land so savoy brown you guys have done a lot you come here there you all three of you decide to leave and then you start what fog hat quickly after that, or was it, did you guys know you wanted uh, to still play together? Um, well, we, yeah, we stayed actually until 1971. We even did some recordings with Kim whilst he was getting his next band together. Um, okay. I don't think they used any of them. I think they used some of the songs that Dave and Kim wrote on their first record, but um, I stayed in touch with Kim. Uh, true to his word, the manager stopped us from working in England um, really? Yeah, the agency was uh, Chrysalis Agency. Chris Ellis and Terry Wright. 
in fact, I went to see them and talk to them about, you know, once we put the band together, we found Rob Price. <clears throat> and they, they said, we can't do it. Harry threatens to take Savoy Brown and Chicken Shack away from the agency, which were two of the biggest bands in England at the time and the States to some degree. Um, uh, so we sort of struggled. Um, then we uh, got our record deal with uh, Bearsville Records with um, Albert Grossman. Mm-hmm. Came over to London to see us and uh, said, hey, let's do it. After he heard us <laughs> play in a club. I mean, probably been a bit frightening. Um, and uh, where were we? You signed to Bearsville, so you were able to what? Because they're a U.S. label, you didn't have to deal with the the yeah. the whole kind of well, we, muddiness yeah. of what was going on with Savoy Brown. Yeah, we uh, we couldn't get any any work, but anyway, Albert Grossman came over, and once we got the record deal, um, we'd already done some demos as well. Okay, and uh, uh, the Beatles publicist Derek Taylor was working for. Warner Brothers in London, and they were the parent company of Bearsville. And he uh-huh. took a real liking to the band. Um, wonderful man, really cool guy. And uh, he started getting us some gigs. I mean, he wasn't an agent or anything. He worked for Warner Brothers. Uh-huh. And uh, so he started getting us some gigs around London and Scotland and a few other places. Um, just because he liked the band. As I said, you know, the agency wouldn't do anything with us. No agencies would touch us. And then um, the first, then we did a tour in England with Captain Beefheart after we'd finished our first album, which was produced by the none other than the great Dave Edmonds. Um, he was, uh, I don't think our first record would have been anywhere near as successful as it was without Dave Edmonds' input. Um, but uh, we did a, t- a three week tour with Captain Beefheart. That was a lot of fun, actually. Um, they were always asking, well, uh, where can we get some weed? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have weed over here. It, it was a rarity, hashish. Um, but uh, that was a lot of fun. We played the Albert Hall. Um, and then everything kind of slowed down again. Um, and then the record was released. Our first album was released in the States. I Just Want to Make Love to You was played on the radio. And uh-huh. I, we got a call from our manager at the time and said, uh, we're booking a tour over here. And wow. did. our first date was in, we came in 72, late 72, I think. Our first date was in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Uh, we were playing in a park as a town uh, event, but we didn't have our, um, our visas. We had H1s to get into the country. I think you need an H2 to perform. Okay. <clears throat> or get paid, I should say. So we play, we played anyway without getting paid. And uh, when we got our visas, they paid us. They say those people in the Midwest are the very best. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I remember it very well. It felt like, again, felt like coming home. Uh, yeah. And then how quickly do you move to the States? Was it soon? Or do you go uh, back to moved here in, Yeah, I moved here in 73. Okay. So after um, the first record had came out. 
Yeah, um, I went back once or twice during '74, but basically, uh, this is we were working all the time here. Um, okay. <clears throat> you know, once once we started, it was like once we got that we played anywhere and everywhere. Uh, it it, we, it wasn't a question of how much we get him paid. Do you know? It was. Remember one day we turned up to. Um, it was Casey Radio Station down in St. Louis, and they were putting on something, and they were going to promote the record, and they had a parking lot. That, but we and we turned up to play with our amps and guitars, but there was no stage, no lights, and there was this little two-pronged thing on a light stand that we were supposed to plug into, but there was no PA. Well, <laughs> how are they going to hit? Well, oh, you don't have that? Oh, we came back about a month later and did it properly. But okay. it, was, uh, it was interesting times, actually. <laughs> sure. Wow, wow, wow. So you well, you guys had, a, what, three gold records before Full for the City came out, which was like probably next level for you, right? Yeah, that was a big, that was a big jump for us. Um, that was uh, Tony Stevens uh, got fired again. Uh, he was always getting fired. Such a pain. Good pace, by the Nick Jameson, who helped produce, uh, uh, worked with us on the first album and helped produce the second album. And uh, I was living up in Bearsville at the time, near Woodstock. Okay. And... Uh, we needed a bass player and I, and Nick and I would like go out and jam at the local clubs up there. And he was also the resident engineer of Bearsville records. And we became good friends. You know, we played badminton and stuff like that and go out and jam at the local clubs. And I said, you play bass. And he said, uh, yeah, Nick was one of the, Nick Jameson's one of those horrible people. You can play everything. Really oh, of work. course. <laughs> yeah, you hate people like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they can just pick up anything. And that's yeah. usually the case with some of the, yeah, the drummers, for like, for, for example, that can play everything better than anyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he said, yeah, so we rented a bass and drove down to Long Island. Rod Price and I, the, the guitar player, um, uh-huh. had a house out on Long Island and we had the basement soundproof. So this is uh, it was Nick. You know, this is the first time we played together with Nick, and uh, there was no auditioning him. I mean, the man could play anything. Uh-huh. And, uh, the first song we wrote was uh, Slow Ride. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, right. It was, it just came from a jam. You know, it's like a, it's a John Lee Hooker riff, you know, that, that, but it's played like in straight 4 4 as opposed to a shuffle. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh, and Nick actually arranged it there and then. We, we had all the ideas down and I believe Nick recorded it on a cassette player, though I'm not entirely sure. I seem to recall him cutting it up as well and splicing it together. He was like that. He could do all sorts of stuff. Um, Anyway, uh, then Dave said, I've got some words for that. And that's how it came out. Wow. And then it just, did that catapult the band, so to speak? I mean, you are already Uh, a big band. I mean, when that yeah, record that, came out and that song came out, was did you just go to the next level? Yeah, the band was doing really well at that time. That was, and it was also the first time since the first album that we actually took some serious time off the road to record. Okay. The other albums, 
you know, we'd go in the studio for like two or three weeks and go back on the road, go back and finish. It was very piecemeal up to that point. Okay. Um, but this is the first time I think we took like two or three months off the road to record. We were in a, a studio in Sharon, Vermont, on top of a mountain in the middle of nowhere. That was it called? Uh, Sun Treader. Um, we wanted to, uh, in fact, Nick and I rented a station wagon and we put uh, some keyboards, drums, guitars in the back and went to like a number of different studios outside of New York. We wanted to be away from everything, no distractions, just making music, you know. Uh-huh. <clears throat> no women. It's probably why we started writing songs about them. <laughs> uh, uh, but it was, um, anyway, we found Suntreader, uh, Nick found Suntreader, and Nick, uh, Nick and I were there, and I set up the drums, and uh, Nick played piano and keyboards. It was really sort of, as long as the drums sounded great, if the drums don't sound great, I mean, the record isn't going to do anything. You might as well throw the record away. <laughs> it was a big wooden room and uh, it worked. It was a lot of fun, you know. Um, and we had, we rented a house like at the bottom of the mountain and uh, where everybody stayed. It was a good time. Um, it, it was, it was, uh, it was the first time I think we really, I think we really locked, we always were a band. But we, you know, living together like that, it was uh, it was good because you know we would take the music home with us. The next morning we go in or midday, we go back into the studio, listen to what we'd done. Um, it was um, yeah, it was it was an exciting time. Uh, you know, some of the songs sort of came real easy, and some of them took a little longer. In fact, "Slow Ride," which Nick reminded me of, of um, the studio had a meltdown we were playing this the song up until the drum and bass break you know and nick plays uh-huh. it, and you know okay put my funky shoes on <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> funky feet boy got funky feet and uh everything went out the whole studio went dark i think it, uh, one of the locals ran into a pole or maybe a moose did i don't know uh Anyway, it was out. Moose. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they had moose there. <laughs> moose, Alice, about this, and it was. Um, uh, so we're out. We the the record stopped right in the middle of the drum and bass break, and so I think uh, we went back on the road for a while. Um, we just did some dates just to keep our hands in. And then uh-huh. we went back about a month or so later, they fixed the problem or whatever happened. And uh, Nick and it was just Nick and I in the studio. And he said, all right, because we liked the track up until then. And he said, all right, well, then I'll just roll the machine and then you just play. And I go, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, and during, then I just start playing again. And along with the track, Nick punches me in. He comes running down the stairs, these steep stairs like this, and he's clogged, click, 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 click like that. And uh, that's how we finished the song. Oh, my gosh. So yeah. you, you had to pick up where that where the uh, power outage started. Yeah. yeah, I'd forgotten all about it. But we would, uh, <laughs> Nick came down and played some bass on our last um, studio album, Under the Influence. Uh-huh. 
he's now living in Iceland. Wow. Uh, uh, he came down and he would, he reminded me of that around that time. I'd forgotten it. And I said, ah, oh, yes. He's a bright lad, actually. <laughs> That's so cool. And obviously you guys as a live band um, have something so awesome. I mean, your live record goes, what, double platinum? <laughs> I mean... Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And the band was always a live band. Um, Uh You know, that was the reason. You've got this, right? Yeah. Hold on. Look, look. I don't have the physical, but I've just been listening to Spotify. Oh, but look, let's see. A DVD and lots of pictures and stories. My girlfriend did all this artwork. It looks awesome. It is awesome. I'm going to tell my, I'm going to tell my tell my manager that we need to send him one. Linda, Linda will get your address. Oh, I would love to have one. Thank you. But the um, Foghat's always it's always been about a live band. I, I seem to remember, you know, the early uh, uh, I used to like doing the um, uh, Don Kirshner's rock concerts. They were uh-huh. always live. I mean. You know, no lip syncing for this band. Bunch of rubbish that is. <laughs> no, I think I think we did one. Uh, I think we did um, slip, tripped, and fell in love off of the "In the Mood for Something Rude" album. Mm-hmm. We did a video that was fun, but um, no, it's all about we could. It, that's the one thing this band always prided itself on. We could play live. You know, nobody would get drunk or stoned before you play. Mm-hmm. I think might have played with a couple of hangovers, but. That's not a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was, it was always about playing. We always took pride in our playing. It was, it was, hey, is it, you know, you make that joyful noise. That's what rock and roll is all about. I'm curious to know with being such a, you know, a live band, how did that affect you when like the world, when COVID happened and not being able to play? I'm sure you've been, you've been at it for 50 plus years. Yeah. Um, it was about the first time I had a year, year and a half off since I don't remember. I, I the other day I said I don't think I remember a summer off since I was twelve years old. But um, it was actually in some ways I felt kind of bad because um, you know I live in a beautiful part of Long Island, live right on the water in a houseboat. I I got to go fishing regularly. Uh, I got to actually grow the put all the vegetables in the garden and, and eat them and like mm-hmm. mow the lawn fix some stuff around the house that needed fixing um got to spend some real time with my girlfriend and uh life was good the kids couldn't come and see me because their mother uh is somewhat compromised so they would like stand at the you know 50 yards away at the other end of the garden or something and sure. say oh dad how you doing good can i have a hug no <laughs> air hug <laughs> um, but i actually enjoyed it i tried to keep my hand in i practiced a little bit on the pads and stuff uh, but i i do have a room where my drums are set up but uh in fact i didn't really touch them that much but i i practiced usually every other every couple of days i'd sit down on the pads for like you know an hour or two uh-huh. so i'm gonna, gonna keep it keep your fingers loose yeah <laughs> sure keep them. uh it's but um I kind of enjoyed it. Um, it's good to be back though. Yeah. I missed it. And it was, it was really cool. Like 
uh, you know, because didn't I didn't see the band because three of the guys lived down in Florida and, you know, we couldn't travel or see anything. We talked for, you know, about once a month we talked. But it was it was when we got to our first rehearsal, which was what about just over a month ago. We were down at the we have a studio down in Florida in Deland, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was kind of nice. Everybody starts hugging each other, which you know because we've been together. This band's been together over twenty years now. Yeah, so you don't really need to hug each other, but it was very emotional. I was going to say it probably was an emotional moment for you all to to finally was, see each other was, after you know. A it year, was, oh, year and a uh, half. Because that, it, it's always, Foghat's always been a band. It was never about, you know, one person. You know, Lonesome Dave was, you know, a great front man. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, in lots of ways, he was the heart and soul of this band because of his great musical knowledge and his input. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the four of you, when you take the stage, that's what it's about, you know, and and that's it. It's just for it's not anybody else it's like and you rely on each other you know for heads up and we've always been noted for um extending jams (laughs) 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 so so again you have to sort of you know stay stay aware in case you know the bass player the the lead guitar player the singer decides to do something else you go whoa left turn at albuquerque (laughs) (laughs) well yeah well obviously i mean real quick on the new record i mean slow rides what nine minutes at the end there sorry about that (laughs) not that i'm complaining but as a Uh, um but yeah i was gonna say that's that's so cool that you're able to get back together put this record out which is incredible and i appreciate your time so much roger and my last question to you real quick is if you have any advice to aspiring artists Get a day job. Work in a bank. That's where they keep the money. Don't don't work in banks. They're horrible. They close most of them down for some reason. Um, I don't know. Don't lose your passion for music. Don't lose your uh, passion for playing. Um, that's what that's what you su- survive. I mean, I I know many many musicians and players. You know, that have their day jobs and stuff, but they just love to play. Um, I'm just one of those fortunate few in this world. We guys doing a decent living at something I love, and uh, uh, I'm going to keep doing it until uh, I'm going to roll till I'm old and rock till I drop. Oh, <laughs> I am old. I don't feel it though. My girlfriend says I act like a 16 year old. <laughs> I tell my wife, no, uh, it's more like 21 because I get laid more now. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are fantastic, Roger. I appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs>